For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Der Show. Today is uh, 9-11, and I vividly remember where I was on the day that uh, those planes crashed into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon and the field in Pennsylvania. I was about to teach my first class that semester to first year law students, many of whom had just left uh, where they grew up and were in Cambridge and away from home for the first time. And uh, the law school decided to cancel classes, which was about the dumbest thing you could do at a time like this. They did the same thing in previous situations when uh, Robert Kennedy was killed. Cancellation, that's the easiest cop-out. I circulated a, a note to all of my students. I was teaching like about 170 students in my first year class. And I said, no, 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 come to class. Don't listen to the school. Don't listen to the administration. Come to class. You shouldn't be alone in your dorm rooms with no friends at a time like this. Uh, come and be with the class. Um, bring a television uh, to the classroom and, and, and television was brought into the classroom. And, and, and we watched the uh, ensuing events and we spent two hours talking about what the implications would be for all Americans, indeed for, for the world. And uh, it was one of the best classes I ever had. Uh, you know, an educator has a responsibility to seize, seize the moment and, to use every horrible tragedy as an educational moment. And um, we had a, a wonderful discussion, uh, people presenting different perspectives uh, on what, what happened. Um, this was more than 20 years ago at a time when Harvard wasn't as deeply divided as it is today. Today, of course, there'd be students saying, well, America deserved it. Um, we didn't have any of that. Um, there were all kinds of discussions about what to do, um, how to pursue the villains, and uh, what punishments they they deserve, and what the motives may have been. Uh, you know, all kinds of good legal discussions. But uh, nobody took the view. Oh my God, let's uh, let's let's point the finger uh, at, at ourselves. Um, it. It's interesting. I remember um, President Bush throwing out the first ball at a Yankee game, and that was a uniting event. Uh, today in Yankee Stadium, they can't even play God Bless America, that great rendition by Kate Smith, because people objected to the fact that when Kate Smith was a young girl, she sang some songs that today we would regard as inappropriate. And I was shocked. I watched the tennis finals um, uh, last night, uh, mediocre finals. Um, but what was really upsetting is that they didn't sing the national anthem. They sang the black national anthem and they sang America the Beautiful, I guess it was. But the national anthem has become too 
too divisive today to sing. People would kneel and, uh, and, and maybe even boo. I don't know. I was pleasantly surprised when they unfurled the American flag. I think there are people today who object to, to that. We are a deeply, deeply divided country, and uh, you know, the national anthem should be sung. Um, when I was a kid, we all said the Pledge of Allegiance. We had a big fight over it, because when I was in, I think, high school, uh, maybe the last years of elementary school or high school, they changed the Pledge of Allegiance, and they added theology to it. Um, uh, one nation, I used to say indivisible, and they would say under God indivisible. I don't recite the words under God. I don't think God belongs um, in public statements or in public discourse or dialogue. And I would like to see every American pledge allegiance to the flag. And not every American can pledge allegiance to God. Uh, we are a nation of, of atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Shintoists, um, uh, people of different faiths and approaches to religion. If you want to unite the country, don't put God in the deck, in, in, in the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, um, we're not talking about taking God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. They put it in during the Korean War to try to unite the country. <clears throat> it just divided the country um, even, even more. The symbols that unite ought to be symbols that are broadly applicable to to all Americans. Uh, now I know that the national anthem has a second verse or a third verse that um, nobody ever sings, but may have some language in it that reflects the fact that it was written during the War of 1812. It wasn't written as a national anthem, it was written as a poem reflecting what was going on with the bombardment uh, at Fort, was it Fort Henry or something like that. Um, uh, and um, so I understand the objection, but we don't sing that. That's not our national anthem. Our national anthem is the first, the first part of it and the first verse. And uh, it's not an easy song to sing, but it's a song that supposedly unites us. Um, I know in Israel now, people won't sing the national anthem um, as well. Um, you know, around the world, we're seeing division. We're seeing it harder and harder to bring. Uh, people uh, uh, together, um, uh, you know, in some parts of uh, um, the radical, radical left. When I was growing up, they were singing uh, the Internationale, you know, the song of socialism and communism. Um, you can sing whatever song you want, but it seems to me that national symbols are important, particularly at times like 9-11 or the times when we commemorate 9-11 as we do today. And I just want to show my solidarity with a country I love. It's a country that rescued my grandparents from uh, pogroms and persecution in Europe and, and brought them to the United States where I could become the first member of my family to go to college and uh, succeed as a lawyer. The American dream is still alive and well for hardworking uh, people. And uh, I hope more people can participate in the American dream, that we can create a greater equality than, than we have today. But the quest ought to be for meritocratic equality, and that is equality based on merit, hard work, and uh, uh, success. And, um, you know, don't want to lecture you folks, but uh, it's 9-11. So on 9-11, I think it's time to show a little bit of patriotic uh, spirit. And uh, patriotic spirit requires that we 
commit ourselves to our Constitution. Now, do I agree with everything in the Constitution? No, I do not agree with everything in the Constitution. The Constitution included provisions for the importation of, uh, of enslaved people into, into the United States. Obviously, that was anachronistic, and it only lasted for a couple of years. And then, of course, the Supreme Court decision um, that uh, declared that um, African-Americans were not citizens. Dred Scott followed by other decisions, um, Plessy versus Ferguson. And then you know, we did have, after the Civil War, the 14th Amendment that gave everybody the right to vote, everybody over the age of 21, and we did a new constitutional amendment for 18 to 21, and women, a new constitutional amendment as well. But um, the 14th Amendment basically was a second constitution in many respects, maybe a third constitution, because the first constitution was the body of the constitution, and the second one was the Bill of Rights. And I want to focus today on the Bill of Rights, particularly on one of the most controversial aspects of the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment. Uh, the Second Amendment is uh, uh, an amendment that if I had been at the convention that adopted or, or the events surrounding the adoption of the Bill of Rights, I would have voted enthusiastically for the First Amendment. I wouldn't have voted either way on the Third Amendment. Uh, no soldier shall be quartered. And I would have voted enthusiastically for the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th Amendments. I would not have voted for the Second Amendment. I know many of you will hate me for this. I don't think the right to bear arms belongs in a constitution. Um, it's not in other Western democratic constitutions. Many of them have statutes uh, giving some limited right to bear arms, regulating arms. But the United States Constitution is unique, and uh, it's a strange amendment. It's uh, very difficult sometimes to understand what it really means. Uh, it doesn't just say, as some people paraphrase it as saying, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's the second part of it. The second part, the first part of it, which modifies and helps to explain the second part of it is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Well, at the time this was enacted, um, the militias were regulated by the states. Massachusetts had its militia. New Hampshire had its militia. And the state could regulate the militia. And so I think there's a very plausible interpretation of the Second Amendment that says the states have the right to well-regulate the right to bear arms, that there is a right to bear arms, but it's part and parcel of the need for a well-regulated militia. At the very least, you should be able to regulate arms. Of course, we all know you can regulate arms. Nobody has the right to own a nuclear weapon. Nobody has the right to own a tank. Nobody has the right to own uh, poisonous weapons or biochemical Oh, weapons, uh, sarin and things of that kind. We, we do abolish and outlaw all kinds of ownership of, of weapons, but the issue really revolves around revolvers, handguns, and long arms, uh, guns, uh, rifles, uh, semi-automatic. Um, some people would even say that the Second Amendment covers fully automatic. Uh, the, the, those courts have not uh, supported that interpretation, but 
Now we have a test case. Um, the governor of New Mexico, a Democrat, has declared a state of emergency in Arizona based on some horrible, horrible, tragic killings of young people, uh, inexcusable, uh, and inexcusable ways in which guns were used to kill these innocent children. And she said she wants to make Albuquerque the safest city in the country. I certainly support all of that. But the way she went about doing it raises very serious questions under our Constitution. She declared a, an emergency. And she said for the next 30 days, starting immediately and extending 30 days, extendable um, 30 days, uh, private possession of guns would be outlawed. Police can have it. Security guards can have it. Uh, people who go to gun ranges can have it, but you can't carry your gun, for example, to a gun range except in a sealed in box. So you can't carry a gun. Um, and the courts have interpreted the Second Amendment to empower individuals who have licenses and who pass certain tests um, to own and and possess and keep on their person both concealed weapons and in some instances weapons that are not concealed obviously you can't well conceal a semi-automatic um, machine gun um, but she's banned them all for 30 days extendable if the gun violence doesn't stop she'll extend it further I wish there weren't a constitutional amendment prohibiting what she's done, but there is. And when you become governor of the state, you take an oath to support the whole constitution, not just the amendments you approve of, the whole constitution. And so what she did is not justified. Um, what she explained, and she's right about that, that no constitutional amendments, no provisions of the constitution are absolute. I mean, you'd think the First Amendment was absolute. It's written in absolute terms. Congress shall make no law, no law, and then let's skip over respecting an establishment of religion, uh, no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, to petition the government for a redress of grievances. No law sounds pretty absolute, but the courts have said, no, there are restrictions, time, place, and manner restrictions. You can't be shouting at the top of your lungs over a megaphone at three o'clock in the morning in a residential area. You can't burst into a church and say, God is dead. Uh, there are restrictions, the absurd distinction, the absurd restriction that all of Wendell Holmes, one of the smartest justices and one of the stupidest things he ever said was you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. Well, that's such a dumb analogy. Of course, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. The reason for that is you can't set off an alarm in a crowded theater. Everybody knows it's a crime to set off an alarm, to pull the lever on an alarm in a crowded theater when there's no fire uh, with the risk to people's lives. And obviously, if you can't set off an alarm, you can't do the functional equivalent of setting off an alarm, which is shouting, Fire, fire, fire. Shouting fire is not free speech. Pulling an alarm is not free speech. Free speech is, ladies and gentlemen, I think this theater is unsafe. And I really think everybody ought to think about seriously leaving and making it very clear to the owners that unless they have more exits, uh, we're not going to 
watch movies here. That's free speech. Yelling, fire, fire. You're not supposed to think about that. You're not supposed to debate it. You're supposed to run or walk swiftly to an exit. So that is the dumbest analogy. And I wish people would just stop using it. Just because Oliver Wendell Holmes said it doesn't make it smart. He was smart. That example is dumb, dumb, dumb. But there are limits on free speech. Uh, you probably can't publish in the New York Times uh, the mechanisms for um, creating a, a, a biological bomb or a nuclear bomb. Uh, there are limits. But a governor can't just say there's a state of emergency and therefore all free speech is banned. No, no, couldn't do that. So how can a governor then say there's an emergency and all guns are banned? I don't think you can. I think that there have to be reasonable restrictions. Uh, even though it's 30 days, you couldn't ban all speech for 30 days. I mean, judges uh, and, and legislators and presidents violate the Constitution all the time. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of the clearest violations of the Constitution, putting 110,000 Americans of Japanese origin into detention centers. But the Supreme Court upheld it doesn't make them right. They were wrong, but they did it. Um, when the Supreme Court, eight to zero opinion, upheld the power of the state to um, sterilize involuntarily people based on malpractice um, um, designations or diagnoses that a person was feeble-minded, eight to one. Justice Holmes writing the decision, Justice Brandeis joining it, Justice Stone uh, joining it, uh, some of the great justices joining it. Total mistake. There have been mistakes, Supreme Court interpretations of decisions. And, and, and maybe, maybe the Heller case, maybe the Supreme Court decision saying that the right to bear arms is personal and individual and not just the right of the state to have a well-regulated militia. Maybe someday the court will reverse that for the first hundred and something years of our Constitution and our Second Amendment. Nobody interpreted it as giving individuals the right to bear arms. That only happened in the last uh, 30 or so years. Uh, maybe it was wrong. Maybe it was right. There's very strong arguments on both sides, and they're reflected in the very close decision, which set out the arguments on both sides. But the right to bear arms won. And that's now the authoritative interpretation of the Constitution. And under the supremacy clause of the Constitution, the governor of New Mexico is bound by that. She can't rewrite the law. She can try to get it amended, um, but she can't say that I'm now going to suspend the Second Amendment any more than she could suspend the First Amendment. And it got me very concerned when she used the First Amendment as an illustration of how the Bill of Rights are not absolute, suggesting that if she declared a state of emergency, she could she could ban uh, uh, all free speech. Now, throughout our history, we've had governors declare states of emergencies. Um, often they did it just when there were strikes, you know, union strikes. They declared uh, emergency and they say no free speech or no gatherings or uh, no petitioning the government for religious grievances. Those were not the finest hours under our constitution. And um, so I am confident, I'll make a prediction here, that the governor of um, New Mexico will be uh, um, 
condemned uh, not only by the court of public opinion and the court of history, but by the courts now and the federal courts uh, will strike down her emergency regulation and do it rather quickly and say, look, uh, if you want to try to come up with some modification that just narrows uh, the right to bear arms and uh, um, we'll think about that. Uh, so far, most efforts to do that have failed. And the courts have said that you can ban arms uh, in, in crowded areas of New York, for example, and other such places. It, it's, it's a work in progress. We don't have a clear, definitive um, understanding at this point in time of exactly um, what the Second Amendment allows in terms of regulation. It was up to me. I'd have more regulation. If it's up to the National Rifle Association, they'd have no regulation. And if it was up to other people, uh, there'd be some, but not a great deal of regulation. Um, uh, the courts uh, deal with these cases <clears throat> on a regular basis. And um, what is very clear, however, is that the, the state of New Mexico is one of our states, and it has to comply with our Constitution. And even if the state Constitution permits a governor to declare a state of emergency, that state of emergency does not include suspending the Constitution. There are provisions for suspending particular parts of the Constitution. Abraham Lincoln uh, suspended the writ of habeas corpus during the parts of the Civil War, and that was pursuant to uh, a constitutional permission to do that in, in extraordinary situations. And uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, talked about how some provisions of the Constitution may be suspendable for a short period of time uh, during invasion or rebellion or uh, extreme emergencies. Uh, but uh, an epidemic of shooting in downtown Albuquerque or around other areas of New Mexico is not the kind of emergency that would or should justify suspending, even for 30 days, any provisions of, um, of the Bill of Rights. So again, although I'm not a, a big supporter of the Second Amendment, in the sense that I would not have advocated its passage back in the day, I am a supporter of complying with the Bill of Rights and with all aspects of the Constitution, whether I agree with it or not, I am not Professor Lawrence Tribe, who finds justifications for accepting only provisions of the Constitution that he agrees with and interpreting the Constitution in a manner that supports his ideology and his politics. That's not me. I defend and support the Constitution as it was written, as it was intended, without regard to whether I like the results or don't like the results. So I don't like many of the results brought about by the Second Amendment, but I support them and defend them because they're in the Constitution and I defend the Constitution. If we have a constitutional convention and I'm invited, maybe, maybe I would support abolishing uh, the Second Amendment as long as it didn't also end up abolishing the First the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. I'm not sure I would even support abolishing it because I'd be concerned about the other amendments surviving. So I wouldn't favor a constitutional convention to abolish the second amendment. But um, again, were I there in 
the last decade of the um, 18th century, and it came to a vote. Second Amendment would not have gotten my vote, but the Second Amendment today gets my support because it's in the Constitution, and I don't want to tamper with the Bill of Rights. Interested in your letters, I'm sure many of you will find it hard to believe that I don't uh, love the Second Amendment, um, um, but I do love the Bill of Rights and will preserve it, um, even if it has parts that, that I don't agree with. All right, let's turn to some letters. Here's an interesting letter. You're exactly right about free speech at Harvard, Columbia, Penn. This has been going on for years and is the direct result of hiring choices for administration and teachers of all schools. It's just gotten worse. Examples, Bernadine Dorn at Northwestern University School of Law, Bill Ayers at the University of uh, Illinois. Um, just recently, Chesa Boudin, the radical extremist DA of San Francisco, who was thrown out of office by a referendum or a vote, um, was appointed by University of California at Berkeley to start a center on uh, criminal justice. What he knows about criminal justice uh, uh, is not very much. Uh, for him, I think criminal injustice uh, is more attuned to his political philosophy, justice for me, but not for thee, due process for me, but not for thee. So who do you think he invited to the opening ceremonies at his new Center for Criminal Justice? Uh, a woman who was charged with first-degree murder, um, uh, Angela Davis. Uh, you remember her, uh, an open, avowed communist. She ran for president on the Communist uh, Party uh, ticket, and she was uh, charged um, with uh, helping a prison break out, which resulted in the death of um, at least one person, uh, maybe more. I know that because <laughs> I helped defend her. Um, and uh, we won the case. Again, an example of how I defend people I abhor. But uh, she, after she was acquitted, she went off to Moscow to receive the Lenin Peace Prize. And she said she would devote the rest of her life to defending political prisoners. So I called her and I wrote her and I said, what a great thing to defend political prisoners. I have a list of political prisoners, of refuseniks, of dissidents, Andrei Sakharov, um, uh, Natan Sharansky. They're all in Soviet prisons and they're political prisoners. It would be so great if when you got the Lenin Peace Prize, you spoke out on behalf of these political prisoners. Her response, they're not political prisoners. They're fascist opponents of communism. They're Zionists. They're uh, opponents of the great socialist revolution. She said, I will demand that they remain in jail. This is the great civil libertarian, Angela Davis, uh, who is the opening speaker and who is supposed to be a role model for students at the University of California. Can you imagine if the shoe were on the other foot, if some conservative were appointed to run the project, unthinkable at Berkeley, but imagine that, and invited a person who had been charged as a member of the Ku Klux Klan um, with the murder and had been acquitted and then had um, gone off to some uh, repressive regime and, um, and, and lauded them and praised them. It, would, it just couldn't happen. But there is no single standard. The shoe does not fit on the other foot. 
And I think it's a scandal that Chesa Boudin uh, was appointed to this uh, position. Uh, his sister, um, uh, or his mother, I'm sorry, Kathy Boudin, who I also helped uh, represent, uh, was convicted, not acquitted, convicted of murder. Um, she was then paroled. And what do you think happened to her? She became uh, a teacher, a professor, assistant professor, or something like that, lecturer at Columbia University, um, where she was lauded and praised. Again, if a comparable person who had been convicted of Klan killing or something on the right uh, had been given that position, unthinkable, inconceivable. But we apply a different standard to people who have been charged and convicted of left-wing crimes than people who have charged and convicted of right-wing crimes. Uh, this is a nice one. Holy crap, somebody finally shouted out Reversal of Fortune, one of the top handful of greatest courtroom dramas ever broadcast on humanity. Well, were it not for that flick, I would never have known the name Alan Dershowitz. Reversal of Fortune makes a few good men look like Green Acres. Reversal of Fortune is on the Mount Olympus. Of courtroom dramas right up there with 12 Angry Men and To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and then it goes on and on and on and on. Well, thank you. My son, Elon, who's producing the show, of course, is the one who brought Reversal of Fortune to Hollywood and persuaded the powers that be to make a film of it. And, of course, it won an Academy Award. And so I'm very proud to have played a small role. I wrote the book. That's a small role uh, in, in, in that great film. And if you haven't ever seen Reversal of Fortune, you know, go online and see it. It's, it's accessible. It's easy. Jeremy Irons. I mean, he's unbelievable. And, and all the other stars, uh, Ron Silver, who played me. But just remember, when you watch him pretend to be playing basketball in my backyard, I'm a much better basketball player. I didn't know dribble around like that meaninglessly the way he did. But watch Reversal of Fortune. Okay, just one more personal. What a gift to your daughter and son-in-law you gave by singing at their wedding. Imagine the delight your daughter will have many years after your passing, playing it for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, a priceless memory. Well, I sure hope there are better memories of me and what I've done and the work I've done than me singing that song, but I appreciate it. I, I enjoyed it. I loved singing uh, the song. I love being at my daughter's wedding. Uh, she's now on the top of some mountain in Europe uh, on her honeymoon, but uh, uh, it, it was it was a great event. Thank you all for your for your good wishes, and I'll I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the Constitution and about how um, the woke left is really doing everything in their power to make it a weapon and an instrument of only supporting their ideology, not, not the rights of all Americans. Uh, so we'll see you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.